Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Good morning, Kesset Church. I am Ronnie Sasaki, for those of you who don't know me, and I am so happy to be here with you today. I don't really have a title here at Kesset. I do call this my home church. And I can assure you that I'm not going to leave because there's no parking. So I think I'm here to stay. I feel very strongly that God, God has called me to speak. And I'm so humbled that Danny and the leadership staff of this church allow me every so often to, to come and share with you. I just returned home from a two-week trip to Uganda. And it was one of the most incredible experiences. And I was there to speak for a women's conference. And then they also asked me to preach at their church the following Sunday. And things in Uganda are very different than they are here, I just have to tell you. And so I'm sitting there in church, and all of a sudden the choir begins to sway and clap and sing and clap. And pretty soon this ripple begins to form throughout the congregation. People are starting to shimmy and shake, and they drop two baskets in the front of the room. And the congregation begins one by one to get out and dance around, and they're dropping their shillings into the basket. And I'm sitting there watching this thinking, oh no, dancing. And I begin to dig in my purse and pull out some of my money. I figure, well, since I'm preaching, I'd probably better participate in this visible display of worship. I look over at my daughter, Bethany, who went on this trip with me, and she's going... But at that point, nothing could hold me back, and I'd, I'd stand up out of my seat, and I'd begin to, as gracefully as I am, you know, to get out there and dance and drop my money. And at this point in time, my daughter is trying to crawl underneath the table to get away from me. I sat back down, and I was waiting for somebody to come up and say, girl, keep your money. Stay seated. It's okay to preach, but please don't dance anymore. Some of you are really nervous right now because you're thinking either I'm going to take a second offering and we're going to put it up here. You guys get all come and show how you do. Or you're thinking, she's going to talk about tithing today, isn't she? Neither one is true. (laughs) I can promise you. So you're off the hook today. We're actually beginning a new series today at Casted on Psalm 138. And this is a psalm all about thanksgiving and thankfulness. So before I go any further in the whole spirit of Thanksgiving, I would like to just take a couple minutes and ask if any of you are veterans here with us today, would you please stand so that we can honor you and thank you. Thank you so much. Your service is really what has made this country the great place that it is to live. And I can speak from experience now, having traveled to another country. So I I just want to very humbly thank you. As I said, we are in this um, series all about thankfulness and thanksgiving. So I thought it fitting to take a brief look at the history of thanksgiving in this country. Now, just about any school child could probably give you the lowdown on the history of Thanksgiving. But there's just a few things that I learned as I was studying for this. One of them is that the first Thanksgiving is somewhat controversial. There's many different 
ideas of when the first Thanksgiving actually took place. Most people attribute it to the pilgrims at Plymouth in the year 1621. So regardless of whichever account you buy into, there is some theme that is true with most of them. They were typically celebrated because of the bounty of their harvest. Most of them had a theme of either being victorious over something, having great abundance, or experiencing some great blessing from God. Now, it was actually Abraham Lincoln who declared that Thanksgiving should be a national holiday. And it was right about the middle of the Civil War. And I wanted to read to you just a few excerpts from the proclamation that he made when he declared Thanksgiving to be a holiday on October 3, 1863. It says, The year that is drawing towards its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come, others have been added, which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart, which is habitually insensible to ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. No human counsel hath devised nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. So many times when I think of this holiday Thanksgiving that is coming up, I began to think of abundance and the things that we have in our lives. And I, I want to tell you right now, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I think it's really great that we take a day, hopefully more than one, but at least one day out of the year. And we, we do this laundry list of all of the great things that are in our lives. And we hopefully give honor to God for this abundance that we have. And I'm not going to deny that I like it. I like abundance. I like having nice things. I like having a nice house. I like to be able to turn the water on and have clean water at my demand. I like to be able to have an abundance of food on my table. I like the fact that my dogs are healthier than many of the children in this world. And I'm not saying I'm glad that many children in the world are not healthy. What I mean by that is, in this country, we have the provision to be able to treat our pets the way that we do. And in some countries, they don't even have that for their own people. So. I love all of the abundance talk that goes on around Thanksgiving. But this chapter in Psalms 138 really is not about the physical manifestation of abundance that we experience in this country. To me, it's about the abundance of God. Now, I'm not saying we should throw all of the traditions and all of the experiences out about Thanksgiving. But my prayer and hope for us today is that as we do our celebration this year, that perhaps we are willing to take another look at things and look at God as not only the source of this abundance, but God for who he is and what he is and how that manifests itself within our lives. And so today I've titled my sermon, The Abundance of God. And there's three different points I want to make. Now, we're only going to be looking at the first three verses because this series is going to go through the end of the month and, and the other pastors are going to talk about the remainder 
of this chapter. But today we're going to look at the first three verses, and there's three things that I really want to focus on as they relate to God's abundance. The first is God is abundantly intimate. The second, God has abundant authority. And then the third, God is abundantly present. So before we go any further, I thought we should stop. Let's read those three verses together. And then we'll circle back around and we'll look at each of the phrases. And as Danny would say, unpack them as they relate to these three types of abundance around God. Psalm 138, 1 through 3. I will give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. Now, there's some translations that rather than use the word thanks in that first verse, they use the word praise. The New International Version says, I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. So I wondered, is there a difference between these two words, praise and thanks? It seems that oftentimes when we read the Bible, they, they are used somewhat interchangeably. So I began to look up the dictionary definition of thanks versus praise, and then the Bible dictionary version of these two words. And this is what I discovered, that praise is all about acknowledging God for who he is, irregardless of anything he has ever done for any of us. It's taking a look at his attributes and giving him praise based solely on that. Thanks, on the other hand, is taking a look at what God has done for each one of us. Now, oftentimes you'll hear Christians say, I can praise God regardless of the circumstances that I'm going through because, see, we're praising him for those attributes rather than thanking him for the things that may be going on in our lives that we don't particularly like. And yet, I began to sit down with these two words and these two meanings and the attributes of God, and I began to look at them as they apply to my own praise, my own thanks towards God, and trying to separate out the two, wondering why would one version say this and another version say that, when clearly they have two separate meanings. And what I realized, because I'll just be honest with you, I am not one of these highly philosophical people who really tries to deeply analyze everything, but I figured that this was worthy of some of my attention. And I thought, what I discovered is that it's difficult for me in my humanness to separate out who God is, the attributes that he displays, apart from what he has done for me. So every single attribute of God has some sort of benefit that I reap from. And I looked at it, and pretty much it applied to the human race in general. So it's hard for us to separate. I'm going to give you a few examples of this. I praise you, Lord, because you are the creator. I thank you, Lord, because you've created this incredible planet that we get to live on and then we get to enjoy. I just told you I went to Uganda and I was able to go on a safari while I was there and so I was able to experience this amazing creation firsthand, those animals that God created. I'm just telling you, 
something else, a sight to behold indeed. We have the praise of who God is, the benefit of what we get from it. I praise you, Lord, for giving your son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice for my sins. I thank you, God, for allowing me to be saved by the blood of Jesus. You have offered a way of salvation to me and to every other person alive on this planet. I praise you, Lord, because you are love. I thank you, Lord, because you love me and you allow me to love in return. I praise you, Lord, because you are God. I thank you, God, for making a way for me to have a close, personal relationship with you. You see, for every attribute of God, I found a reason to thank him. I could not separate them out. And so this is why I believe those two words are often used interchangeably, even though they have separate meaning. It's difficult for us in our humanness to be able to pull them apart. So there's a key point that I would like you guys to get today. If you hear nothing else from this sermon, this is really, really important because these first three verses of Psalm 138 are so personal. When they talk about the attributes of God, they are very personal as they relate to each one of us. And we are reminded throughout the entire Bible of how great God is, how powerful he is, how superior he is. And then we are also reminded of the contrast of how human we are, how imperfect we are, and how feeble we are as man. And yet we see time and time and time again where God is closing the gap between who he is and who we are until finally the ultimate sacrifice of his son Jesus Christ, who is God, was sent to this earth to die, to rise again three days later, ultimately bridging that gap so that we come together as one with God in this close, intimate, personal relationship. So this brings me to my first point about God's attribute. He is abundantly intimate. As I said, the opening of this chapter is very personal. You can sense this sense of intimacy between the writer and his God. The psalmist says, with all my heart. Some translations say, my whole heart. And I think that oftentimes we see the heart as this, this, the epicenter of our bodies. It's when we, where we go and we get out of our heads, out of our intellect, and we begin to deeply feel, deeply be relational, deeply understand on a whole new level, particularly the things of the Spirit. And he says, my whole heart. And I thought, well, if it's whole heart, why would anybody hold back just a portion of their heart? And I'm not really sure why, but I, I think perhaps it could be in relationship to fear. Oftentimes, we sense that there's things in our lives that God wouldn't like, things that we think he doesn't see necessarily, and if he did, he would go, Ugh, I don't know if I can be in a close relationship with that person because of such and such in their lives. I mean, we just finished this whole series, Dandelions and Dragons, where we took a look at who we are and all of this stuff in our lives. And it's one thing if I take a look at my own life, but do I have to share all that stuff with somebody else, particularly with God? So sometimes I think we hold back and try to 
to hide our whole heart from God. But I love being able to preach on these first three verses of this book because Psalm 138 precedes Psalm 139. And Psalm 139 is without a doubt one of my favorite books in the Bible. And I don't know that if David chronologically wrote Psalm 138 prior to writing Psalm 139, but because chronologically they are in order in our Bible, I like to believe that these three verses are really the foundation of what comes next in Psalm 139. It is a book of the Bible where you can just feel David opening his heart up to God because he knows already that God sees it all. And so I wanted to just share a few of these verses from Psalm 139, these statements that David makes in relationship to this intimacy that he gets with the Lord. Psalm 139, 1 through 2. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Verse 7 and 8 say, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. And then Psalm 139.13, one of my personal favorites, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And then 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. My husband and I, Derek and I, have been married for 30 years as of a week ago, Sunday. And we celebrated our 30-year anniversary via texting because I was in Uganda and he was here. So I guess you could say that after 30 years of marriage, my husband let me go to Uganda by myself without him. But when I was first married, one of my biggest fears as a new wife was that my husband would truly get to know me. See, all those things that he didn't know about while we were dating, and once he figured them out, then he wouldn't love me anymore. And I mean, there's a strong basis for this fear, right? We often hear marriages or relationships that go sideways, and one of the partners will say, well, I just didn't know what I was getting into. So I think when it comes to this whole idea of having this intimate, personal relationship with God, this fear creeps in just a little bit. But the good news is God already knows every detail, every aspect of who you are and what you are. He is abundantly intimate and desires to have a close personal relationship with each one of us here. The second thing I wanted to talk about is God has abundant authority. Verse 1 says, Before the gods I sing your praise. Now this word, gods, as I was doing my research, I discovered that it actually refers to three different entities. The first one is pretty obvious. We see the word gods with a little g, and I automatically think of false gods or idols. And they were still very prevalent in David's society back then, which I believe they are extremely present in our society today. These are gods that are not the one true God. And so there's a declaration made here that... God is superior over all of those. The second entity that this word can refer to is the angels. So the superior, superiority of the Lord is displayed before the angels. 
Now, these are those heavenly beings that do exist. We oftentimes don't see them, but they exist in the spiritual realm. There are people in this world who actually worship these, these spiritual beings. And again, we're coming back to the fact that God is superior over them. And then the third entity is God is superior over rulers of men. I think this one often trips us up sometimes because it's just a little bit sneaky. In our society, I believe we tend to put famous people, famous leaders, those people who um, put up on a pedestal by society for whatever reason, either they're a politician or they're a famous actor or a famous singer, whatever reason, we put them up on high. And I think it's pretty cool sometimes if somebody knows one of those people, don't you? Oh, you know so-and-so who starred in that movie? Or you know this guy who just you know, won this award? We put these people high up on a pedestal and we think it's cool if we can possibly have a relationship with them. So I want you just to pretend with me for one minute that the President of the United States, now, before you yank me off the stage with a shepherd hook, because we're pretending, pick any president you'd like. Any president throughout the history of our presidents that is your favorite. And pretend that the phone rings and you pick it up and it's the president. And he's calling you up and he's saying, hey, I want to invite you to lunch with me. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the presidential helicopter, whatever it's called, and I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to bring you over to the White House so that we can just hang together and have lunch. I don't know how you would feel if that happened, but I know I would be pretty excited about that. And so sure enough, the, the helicopter comes, it picks you up, you go through all the Secret Service stuff, and you end up having lunch with the president. I can guarantee that there would be pictures on Facebook, on Instagram, on Snapchat, on LinkedIn, on whatever social media you could possibly find of selfies of you and the president, right? Because that is so exciting. And yet the thing about it is, is this God that we serve, he's on the phone right now. Hey, I want to have lunch with you. I'm going to send the, the God helicopter out to get you. <laughs> and I'm going to bring you here so that we can just hang together. Shouldn't that be more exciting than any lunch with any human being on this planet? You see, we, we think about the intimacy of God. But when we look at the authority of God and who he is, and we realize that this supreme being still wants to have this intimate and personal relationship with you. Now, I'm going to go ahead and do some rearranging here just a little bit because I'm going to skip over the second half of verse 2. I'll come back to it in just a minute. But keeping on this theme of the abundance of God's authority, we're going to look at the second half of verse 2. It says, And give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. You see, it's because of the name of God. We've sung about it. When it says, what a powerful name you have. You know, you were the word in the beginning. Talking about Jesus. We have his words and we have his name. Now, there's some um, verses in the Bible that support the powerful name of God. And one of my favorites is Exodus 3, 13 through 14. And this is the situation where Moses 
is before the burning bush. And the Lord is in the burning bush, and he's speaking to Moses, and he's telling him to go back to Egypt and to free his people and to take him out into the wilderness so that they may worship him. And Moses is just a little bit nervous about this, as you might imagine. So he's throwing questions back to God as to why this isn't going to work. What should I do? And for every argument that Moses has, God has an answer. And so let's read 13 through 14. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, if I was in the bleachers watching this entire episode, I would be cheering for God right now. Go, God! That is such a great line, and it just gets me excited hearing that. I am who I am. There is great power in the name. Now, I'm going to take a brief sidetrack here, and I'm going to give you all some marital advice, okay? Because I've been married for 30 years. Now I feel like I'm qualified to do so. One of the reasons that we have been married for such a long period of time is because I agree to watch movies that he has chosen. <sighs> yeah. Sometimes it's very painful. But other times, the movies turn out to be pretty good. Whenever I read this account between God and Moses, I think of the movie Gladiator. Maybe not all of you have seen this movie, so I'll just try to tell you a little bit. Maximus is the star of this movie, and he's got a nemesis who has basically imprisoned him throughout the entire movie, and he has to become a gladiator and then fight his way to stay alive. And finally, towards the end of the movie, Maximus comes face to face with his enemy, who says to him, Who are you? So Maximus pulls off his mask, and he says, My name is Maximus Decimus Meritus, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife. And the whole crowd goes, yay. Even me watching it goes, yay. And I feel the same way when God says, I am who I am. You see, the name of God has power in it because the gladiator is just a movie. But it displays that same type of emotion when our name is declared. And we see the name of Jesus in the same light. Are you getting a little bit of hint here about this whole concept of God being God and yet wanting to bridge the gap between us being human? It all tends to lead to Jesus. It keeps coming back to Jesus. Even though this psalm was written before Jesus ever came onto this planet, all things tend to be leading up to him. So we look at the name of Jesus. And then we read in John 1.1 about the Word of God. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So when we look at the abundance of God's authority, we see that he is superior over the false idols and gods. He is superior over the angels. He is superior over the rulers and the famous people of men. His name has power. His name has authority. The name of Jesus has power and authority to save us from our sins. Jesus is the word of God come to life. He has an abundance of authority. And then finally, we look at God is abundantly present. 
This is the piece of it that really blows me away. And it's for all the reasons that I've already said. Who am I that this magnificent God wants to have this personal relationship with me? So when we look at God being fully present in our lives, we're going to come back to verse 2 where it says, I bow down toward your holy temple. Now this holy temple mentioned here throughout the Bible has four separate manifestations of the temple of God. And it is always the place where God chooses to dwell. The first manifestation is the tabernacle that Moses was instructed to build. This was a temporary residence that they could tear down, put back up, tear down and put back up as they began to move through the wilderness into the promised land. It was where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. It was where the pillar of cloud of God sojourned while he was with the people was in this tabernacle. The second manifestation is the temple that was built by Solomon. I'm going to come back to that in just a second because it has significance for this verse that um, David is bowing down toward the holy temple. The third is Jesus. Jesus was the temple of God sent to this earth. So those few short years while he was here on this planet, he is the temple of God. It is the place where God dwells. And then the fourth place where God dwells in his holy temple is actually the church. Now I'm not talking about this physical building that we all come to once a week, perhaps on a Sunday. But it's the people. You see, it's so ironic about this because David wanted to build the temple. The second one that I mentioned that I wanted to come back to, the temple that Solomon built. He had this great desire when it was all ready to build this temple for God. And the Lord came back through the prophet and said to him, David, I'm not going to have you build the temple because you've got too much blood on your hands. So then David is instructed that Solomon is to build the temple, not him. So I want to read to you when David is talking to Solomon, 1 Chronicles 22, 7 through 8. David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name, because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. And then God says of Solomon in verse 22.10, He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son and I will be his father, and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. It's that same pattern that we've already looked. You see, everything is leading up to Jesus, because here we have God probably disappointing David in that moment, saying, David, you're not going to build my temple. Your son Solomon gets to do it. But through your lineage of Solomon, I'm going to build my temple, Jesus Christ, that is then going to tear that curtain in half and offer this temple up to the entire world. That place where God dwells is within each and every single one of us because of this covenant that God made with David on that day through his son Solomon, through the lineage of Jesus, onto us as the Holy Spirit enters into our hearts and we become the temple of the living God, the place where God dwells within our hearts. So we see the abundant presence of the Lord. 
Now, continuing on in the same line, just a quote, though, from Matthew Henry as it pertains to us being the physical temple. He says, God dwells in all believers now. They become the temple of God through the working of the blessed spirit. And I just love that. To think that God dwells within me is truly mind-blowing. God, David goes on in verse 3 of this Psalm 138 as we begin to wind down toward the end. He says, on the day I called, you answered me. So when we think about the abundance of the presence of God, David is calling on God and he is answering him. Have you ever done that? You know, the Bible is full of imagery. And I don't think that this is imagery right here. This is actually, as the rubber meets the road, as my husband would say, of God answering David when David calls on him. Have you ever experienced that in your own life? I know I have. Last spring, normal morning, got up, got ready for work, one of the last things that I do before I get in my car and drive off to my office is let my two dogs outside to go do their morning business. Now, one of my dogs, he's fine. He minds. He stays within the yard. My other dog, Sunny, she's a Brittany Spaniel, and she is a runner, which is fine because we have lots of property for her to run on. The only problem is, is that our property butts up to a very busy road where people tend to drive extremely fast. So we've always tried to keep our dogs off of the road. But this particular morning, Sunny got a wild hair, and she just decided to bolt down to the road and across it before I could stop her. I ran outside, and I stood at the top of the driveway, and I was in a panic because cars were going to work. And so there was more traffic than usual on our road, and they were going really fast. And here is my dog. I could see her across the road. She's having the time of her life. And she's just frolicking along, running around from house to house across the street. And I didn't know what to do because I was afraid if I called her back, she'd go running in front of a car. And I didn't know if I could get to her because every time I tried to get near her, she would just run off. She didn't want the fun to end. So I stood at the top of the driveway, and I called out to God, God, please, Please don't let her die. And just as I finished that phrase, an SUV came barreling down the road, and my dog, Sunny, came running, leaped out in front of that moving car. And I stood there and heard that thud. I saw my dog fly. And then I said, I guess you just didn't want to answer my prayer today, God. I'd covered my eyes because I just couldn't bear to watch it anymore. And so I stood there as the tears began to stream, knowing that there is no way, no way she's alive. I knew she was dead. I heard the thud. I saw it. And I was in grieving mode at that time. But I thought, you know, I've got to go down, and I've got to pick up her body, and I've got to bring her back up to the house. And I admit to you that I was mad at God for not answering my prayer. When I walked down to the road to get her, I couldn't find her. She wasn't laying where I thought she would be. So I thought, well, maybe she flew really far. She made it over the guardrail and is down in the brush between the road and the river. So I hiked over the guardrail and began to traipse through the tall grass looking for my dog's body, and I couldn't find her. 
So I engaged the assistance of my son and my daughter for three hours. We searched for that dog. Could not find her body anyway, anywhere. And I thought, did she get hit so hard she just evaporated? I didn't know what had happened to her. Finally, after three hours, we gave up. And in despair and grief, knowing that she was dead somewhere, we went back to the house. And there, sitting on the front porch, was that dog wagging her tail. We took her to the vet. She had no broken bones. She had no internal injuries. She only had a few scuffed up marks on her body. And I had that moment with God where I realized that he had answered my prayer. Now, I don't know why she didn't get killed, and I don't know why God even chose to answer my prayer because she should have been dead. Maybe she was, and he brought her back to life. I have no idea where she was for that three hours. And now you may be thinking to yourself, okay, so Ronnie, you've talked about this superior God and this intimate relationship that he wants to have with us, and then you come along and you tell us a story about your dog. What does that have to do with anything? Well, you see, because of the abundance of God's presence in our lives, he cares about each one of us and what we care about. He cared about that dog. I believe on that day, for whatever reason, God gave me a miracle. That because he's present in my life, he chose just in that moment to answer my prayer the way he wanted to. Now, I can tell you many stories where prayers were answered, but not necessarily the way I wanted, like they were on that day, as I'm sure that you have many of those stories just like that. But we look at this presence in our lives. Whatever it is that you care about, he cares about as well. Finally, the last phrase of this three short verses is, my strength of soul you increased. And another version says, you greatly emboldened me. The first thing I think of when I see those words, strength or emboldened, is I kind of want to go back to the Gladiator movie. Because you look at Maximus and his character who's played by Russell Crowe, and you see a very strong man. A man who trains, who's physically fit, who is a superior fighter, who can beat anybody that's brought in front of him. And I see this immense power and this immense strength and I think about being bold and all of that. But then I look at this verse as it relates to the, the, the phrases that precede it. And I wonder, perhaps, in this context, those words emboldened are the ability that we get, being emboldened of soul, to come before God in this personal, intimate relationship, completely bearing our hearts open to him as he dwells within our presence. You see, God is abundantly intimate, and sometimes that scares us. Sometimes it's bold to step in beyond our fears into this intimacy with God. You see, God is a, has abundant authority. He is where the buck stops, if you will. He has power over everything on this planet and yet in that same moment of his authority he longs for this personal relationship with us where he can be present within our lives 
Are you bold today? Do you have strength of soul to be in God's presence? Because I want to tell you something. The phone's ringing. He's on the other line. He's saying, let's have lunch. Let's hang out together. Let's take selfies together. I'm not sure that my face will show up on Facebook, but <laughs> God wants to be with you. Now, I don't know where you are today. I'm sure we have a group this size. There's all different people that walked in here with different things going on in your lives. Some of you are on top of your relationship with Christ. You feel closer to him than you ever have. And then there's others of you that perhaps you don't thank him and praise him with your whole heart for whatever reason, be it fear, be it a distraction. You're holding back. And maybe as we enter into this period of thanksgiving through the month of November, and we look at this verses in Psalms 138, not just today, but in the following Sundays as we really focus on God and who he is and how he manifests himself within our lives, that you rekindle that newness with him today. And then it's entirely possible that there's those of you who walked in who have never had a close, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. So I, I can't walk off the stage without giving you a chance to invite him into your heart because it's real and it's just absolutely amazing so you may be sitting there perhaps you're feeling that nudge I want to invite you to accept Jesus into your heart so let's pray right now dear Heavenly Father I don't think I have the right words to say in my humanness I don't even really know how to lead somebody to you. But here you've put me in this place, Lord, and you've given me these words. And so I just ask that whoever is in this room right now, that you may be knocking on their heart door, that they will say this prayer with me right now. Dear Jesus, I acknowledge that you are the son of the one true living God, that in you are God. Jesus, I thank you for going to the cross to die for my sins and then rising again three days later so that I can live forever. Please forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart today because I long for that close, intimate, personal relationship with the supreme God who is abundantly intimate, has abundant authority, and has abundance of presence in my life. Lord, I ask you to come into my heart today. In your holy name, amen. Now I want to ask you something. In that boldness, strength of soul, if you said those words along with me for the first time, I'm going to ask you to come up, please, after the service is over. Don't be silent about your commitment. Come up and talk to me. Come up and talk to one of the pastors here at Kesson because we want to make sure that you have the support you need as you begin this incredible journey with Christ. I love you guys, and I thank you so much for the opportunity to share with you today. Let's thank Ronnie. Thank you, Ronnie. Great message. Let's all stand together, and let's just praise God, the one and only God. Sing it out.